Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. We're still reeling from... That terrible performance by England in Barbados. Mind you, they haven't got a great record in Barbados. They haven't got a great record in the West Indies, actually. I think their record over the last 10 years is played 8-1-1. So it's now played 9-1-1 since 2004, when, of course, they played well and, and actually won that series. Moved on to Antigua. Uh, pitch will probably be a bit flatter there, but it's opened a, a few sores, that first defeat which is going to take something more than sticking plaster, Simon, doesn't it? Well, when England are bad, they are very, very bad, aren't they? They are capable of some horrendous performances. You think of New Zealand last year in Auckland, bowled out for 58, lost by an innings, thrashed by Pakistan at Lords. I mean, they didn't play that well against India at Trent Bridge as well, but they came back. One of the sort of features of their cricket is they've been able to come back. They came back to beat Pakistan. OK, they didn't come back to beat New Zealand after Auckland, but they did play quite well in Christchurch, and they were pressing for victory on the final day, and they actually caught some catches they probably would have won in Christchurch. They won at Headingley after losing to Pakistan. They won the next Test match after they lost at Trent Bridge to India. So perhaps there is some hope, but that was a, an absolutely woeful performance from England. Having said that... West Indies played really well. I mean, it was a, a really accomplished, professional, disciplined performance. I mean, goodness me, they went a whole day without losing a wicket. That was, you know, that, what about the discipline involved in that? In just also being ruthless as well. Really, really putting their foot on England and just almost rubbing their noses in the dirt, really. That's what they did on that third day. I mean, about a whole day, or didn't about the whole day, but, you know, until the declaration came, without losing a wicket. Hmm. After 18 wickets had fallen on the previous day, it was a fantastic yeah, effort. Bizarre, actually, wasn't it? We, we, we have got some views about why England played so badly, and actually those views are shared by a famous character who we've got in part two, Clive Lloyd, of course, the famous West Indies captain who really unified that country 
in the, the 1970s and 80s and made them the world beaters that, that they're famous for. He's got some quite strong words to say about things like preparation, mm. actually, which was a little bit lacking, I thought, from England's point of view. Two fairly nondescript early matches before the first test. Joss Butler, I think, only scored three runs in the two games. He didn't play in one of them. Uh, one or two of the other batsmen didn't really get much of a knock. Jennings, for instance... And that kind of lack of preparation showed through in the Test match. Listen, in the lead-up to that Test match, and, and during that Test match, two England players, Jimmy Anderson and Moen Ali, both referred to the preparation not being ideal. Now, you don't hear that very often, do you? You don't hear that. They might think it, but they don't say it. Alistair Cook, former England captain, in his column in the Sunday Times at the weekend, pointed to preparation. So, you know, you've got three players there, two who are, you know, England giants, Mm. Cook and Anderson, really experienced cricketers, and Moen Ali's played an awful lot of international cricket now, all three of them saying the same thing. So, you know, preparation is involved in it. It, It's got to be, because... You, 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 need, you, you, yeah. need, you need a bit of intensity, surely. And people say, oh, well, in Sri Lanka, they didn't have that preparation. They had two two-day games. And yet, quite a lot of them have been out there already, playing yeah. one-day international cricket. So, in a, in a sense, quite a few in the team were, were battle-hardened. And, you know, you could say, well, you know, Ben Folkes didn't have that. He was, you know, he, he, about a week before the series, he wasn't even in the country. But, I, you know, with Folkes, I suppose, what, what can you say about that? Well, you might say he had so much to prove that he was... You know, there was a, a, a real determination to, to prove his worth to the side, which I, you know, can help players right at the start of their international also, careers. There's, there's a sort of beginner's luck element to it, and also the, the opposition can't really prepare for somebody mm. they haven't seen much of or don't know he's going to play. So th- there is a sense that, you know, whereas you can get ready for the other players that you know you're going to uh, be against uh, and, and really kind of get some good plans in place. England's most successful tour of the last 15 years, well, even their most successful two tours, the win in India, where they had uh, a bit of a warm-up before that, uh, under Alistair Cook, and then, of course, particularly, the Strauss tour of 2010-11, where they played three... Of, of Australia. Yeah, yeah. Where, they, where they played three warm-up matches, two three-day games and a four-day game before the first test, and they scored, in that four-day game, they scored 520. Mm. So that was proper time in the middle. And that's clearly what they were lacking in that first test in Barbados. Yeah, I had the sort of sense that... I mean, what decided the game was when England batted on that second morning afternoon, you know, either side of lunch or in fact, after the lunch interval. That, that decided the game. It was about an hour's cricket that settled the match, wasn't it? And it just had that feeling that England weren't quite on it. That they were just a bit lacking, and once that happened, the game was gone, wasn't it? Really, and they, you know, they hinted at get, getting back in it when they had West Indies sixty for five, but they were still two hundred and seventy ahead, and yet, you know, you just felt that the die was cast. So, it, it, I mean, you can go back to the the bowling aspect of it as well, you know, team selection, uh, but you know, preparation. Anyway, it's a perfect storm. I mean, preparation, mm. selection. West Indies ready for them. They, I think they won a good toss as well. Yeah. The West Indies. Yeah. You know, it, and England have only won two of the ten tests in which they've lost the toss yeah. recently. So they're not as good clearly when they lose the toss. Yeah, and yeah, West Indies have got some very talented cricketers. Jason Holder is a, is a fabulous cricketer, mm. underrated, yeah. I think, yeah. generally. Although he was in, interestingly, the uh, World ICC Test 
team of the year for 2018. He got in ahead of people like Ben Stokes. Yeah, I mean, that does actually mean he's underrated. I know that sounds a strange thing to say, because actually they do it on the stats. But it might be that, oh, well, you know, Jason Holder's in the side. Oh, he's, he's not really well, that What I meant under, by underrated is sort of perceived yeah, yeah. not to be a, a threatening cricketer. Yeah. But he's a bit cleverer than, than people give him credit for, well, I think. Well, and, and the stats back it up. Uh, absolutely. And that was why he was in the, mm. in the in the test team of the year. People say, well, why wasn't Jimmy Anderson in the test team of the year? Well, if you look at the stats of the bowlers who were in it, they were even better than Jimmy Anderson. Yeah. So, you know, he had a very good 2018, but three other bowlers had even fantastic I mean, 2018. I've, I've worked out, uh, with, the, with the help, I admit, of uh, Andy Zaltzman, actually, that bowlers are taking their wickets at a lower average in 2018 than in any year since 1959. Mm. They're taking their wickets at 27. So the bowlers are really on top, relatively speaking, in the last 12 months. Why, why would that be? I think there's a few reasons. I think it's at the moment there are several high-class seam bowlers of the calibre of Anderson. Vernon Philander is another. Mohamed Abbas of Pakistan is another. And then obviously people like Rabada, Jasprit Bumrah. There's there's a few around who have incredible control, as much as they have skill, and they're able to apply a lot of the the, the data, the stats that are coming out of Hawkeye to really be very forensic in the way that they bowl. Uh, the data about the batsman now is much more precise, so they can really they're almost like extensions and bowling machines. And plus, the advent of bowlers around the wicket to left-handers has really cut a left-hander's prominence as a batsman because their angles are minimised and they're having trouble with that right arm round the wicket angle. So they have, you know, ever since bowlers have found that way of bowling to left-handers, it's become more and more popular and batsmen have had less and less answers to it. So there's a few reasons why batsmen are struggling more, but, you know, they've got to fight back because these bowlers, some of these bowlers are very skilled. And you you look at Kemar Roach, for instance, the way he bowled in that first test match, uh, to a lesser extent, Jason Holder, they applied plans very precisely and England fell into them. What about the 1990s? I mean, there were some fantastic bowlers around in the 1990s. You'd think that one of the sort of low-scoring years would be in the 1990s. When you think of Donald and Pollock and Wazim and Wacker and Kirtley and Courtney and, they were uh, and, McGrath, and McGrath. They were devastating, but they, some of them, you know, the Wackars and the Donalds and people like that, get, conceded a few more runs. You look at the figures of the Vernon Philanders and the Abbasses and the Andersons, they leak one run and over or one and a half runs and over. They just don't let the batsmen get away. Mm. And so that's probably why those averages are so low. Also as well, I, mean, I think it, 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 there must be a, a white ball factor in this as well, isn't it? There, yeah, are, there just aren't the batsmen mm. prepared to play in that old-fashioned test match way. Well, absolutely. I, I would have thought, anyway, that, that, that would be my... Intuitive. And I think that, that brings that. another point across, which is something that England must think about subsequently, uh, is that it was all very well getting bowled up for 77 in the first innings, which, I mean, was a poor batting performance and a very good bowling performance. Yeah, very good bowling performance. But it was the second innings, the way they just capitulated to non-turning off breaks, which was really poor, just not only from the technical point of view and just, just bad method, and but also the thinking point of view, because it did rain on the fifth day, not all day, but you never know. Mm. They could have hung out for a draw. But also, it's the cumulative effect you have on a bowling attack over a three-test or a four-test series. They're quite closely packed together, these matches. If you can keep a fielding side out there a bit longer into the fifth day, it has a gradually wearing effect, which was proved brilliantly by Che Pajara in that 
India Australia series where he just wore the Australian bowlers down over something like 30 hours at the crease, he faced over a thousand deliveries, and by the end of the series, the, the, those faster bowlers were knackered. Yeah. What, what, what about England's team selection? Uh, there's been a lot of comment on that. Stuart Broad not in. Uh, I mean, I, in retrospect, you know, after about a couple of days, it struck me that the, the best attack, or perhaps not even a couple of days, the best England attack for that pitch was Anderson, Stokes, Broad and Wokes. So four, those four right-arm pace balls. But, of course, England have used that sort of attack abroad before, mm. and it's not really worked. They've, they've been a bit toothless. And it, it struck me, I was thinking about this, it struck me that the, the reason we saw that England attack is because Root, having seen samey attacks fail in the past, wants that variation. He's got Anderson, the swinger. He's got Curran, the left-arm swinger. He's got Stokes, the enforcer. He's got the, the leg spinner. He's got the off-spinner. And he's got himself to bowl a little bit of something as well. He bowls a bit of leg spin, a bit of off spin as well. In other words, there's, there's a lot of variation in that attack. But actually, can Curran play in a three-man pace attack when you think actually there is something there for the pace bowlers? What, what I mean by that, you know, if, if it's spinning like a top, then you know, Curran can play. Because he's just taking the shine off yeah, and maybe taking yeah, the odd wicket. Yeah, and, and, and gets runs. But yeah. you know, where you want the pace bowlers to really do a job, do a, you know, a long, concerted job, can he really play in a three-man attack at the moment? No. And what I think England need most of all, and in a way they haven't got the answers in the Caribbean, is pace. Uh, and it's the same story as in Australia a, a year ago, even actually a little bit, in England, when Bumrah came back into the India side, he gave India a cutting edge, which was emphatic in their victory at Trent Bridge, uh, and then also in Australia, where he gave the Indians this this sharper edge. Uh, England do not have that. They haven't got somebody who can give the batsman hurry-up. Look at the effect Shannon Gabriel had in that first test match. He only took two wickets, but he really gave the England batsman people like Root a bit of a fright. I think Stokes was a bit freaked out by him as well. He didn't latch on to a few of those fuller deliveries from Gabriel. He didn't get the wickets, but he got the wickets for other people. It reminded me a bit of the effect of somebody like Patrick Patterson. You know, big, strapping guy, very strong shoulders, aggressive, bowls those balls, which you don't occasionally don't pick up. And Graham Gooch said when he faced Patterson that he was the one time mm. in, I think, Jamaica where he actually right. feared for his life. Yeah, 1986. Yeah, and uh, that, that has a, a real effect, a, a rather destabilising effect on the dressing room when you see one of your best players slightly you know, flinching and flapping at balls because he's not really in control of them or picking them up. Root was doing that. And that, that you know, can have a sort of subliminal effect on a team. England haven't got anything to fight back with in that sense. They have got Mark Wood out there. I would be inclined, if he was fit, I'd be inclined to play him on these pitches because they need something, just something to give the batsman something different. It's all very well having your Wokes and your Anderson and Broad, who are all of a, of a type. I need. I, I want someone with a bit of pace that's going to bowl Yorkers and the old bouncer, and even if he only bowls a few overs, mm. something a bit different, something to just give the batsman a, a bit of a bit of adrenaline, maybe. Yeah. Well, I suppose it all depends on the surface that's produced for Antigua. It's under wraps. I saw a photograph of it today, and it's under cover. So, but generally speaking, there it's, it's quite slow and, and low, isn't it? I mean, West Indian yeah. pitches are a bit more like that these days. So, England, you know, in theory, England have got a problem here. I mean, it is a very flat pitch in Antigua. You know, it's a, 
It might, might even be a draw. Who knows? It might be a bit of rain around as well. The odd, the odd shower here and there. You know, England are under pressure in this series. That's, that's the problem. Is it three match series? You lose the first test, bang! You suddenly under pressure. Series that you you expect to win. You you, you, know, you hope to win. Uh, the, your favourites for. What do England do with their team selection? Are you you going for Wood? What what about Ben Folkes' position in the side? I mean, you know, admirable series in Sri Lanka, absolutely fantastic, did really well. It seems a harsh thing to say, but in a in a way, his position in the side has caused England some problems, hasn't it? It, It's sort of unbalancing, in a strange way, destabilised the team because. which is not to criticise him at all. I mean, he's, he just went out there and did what he was, all that was required of him. But what it does, I mean, England had that balance where they could play four pace bowlers and two spinners, or they, you know, they could even play three spinners and three pace bowlers. They thought it was going to spin squares. So they've got all those options covered. Uh, um, Folks's position in the side means they can't play that sort of attack. Well, I suppose they can play four and one, can't they? They can play four seamers and, and one spinner. Mm. Um, but you know they, you, you might need two spinners in until you might need Leach rather than Rashid because if you do that and your folks plays you can't play four pace bowlers. So do you, you understand what I'm saying? The last summer against India mm. they won four one and that the formula they had was four and two. When people criticised it. I mean Michael Vaughan said you know six bowlers is too much for for any captain. But what it does do is it gives you lots of lots of different options. I'm just more worried about the batting, really, and and I think the difficulty that England have, and it so it's it, not an issue with the bowling well, at all. But what about, so what, no, about I, the balance, I, what about the balance of the no, side? They definitely though? needed another seamer in in uh, Barbados, and they need to correct that. I think Rashid is a luxury they don't need in these conditions. I'd rather have somebody with a bit more control. So actually. Leach for Rashid, yeah, certainly Leach for Rashid, or Broad for Rashid, or Wokes for Rashid, well, or. It all depends on the pitch, but England need three proper seam bowlers in the West Indies, in my view, unless they're playing in Trinidad, which is more of a, like a subcontinental type of pitch. But in Antigua, I think they definitely need three proper seamers. But they also need three proper batsmen as well. There's a thing about having all-rounders. It's well, hold great. On, hold on, hold on. They've got... They've got... Jennings, they've yeah. got Burns, and they've got Root. Those are, those are three. I meant at the top. Th- I meant in the top three. Right. So, in other words, four then with Root as well. I want three frontline batsmen because I think if you have all rounders and Bairstow, so you to don't me, count Bairstow as, well, as a frontline batsman. You know, he still is an all rounder in the sense that he is a keeper as well as a batsman. I know he's now in the side as a batsman mm. primarily, but still people are now considering whether he should play as the keeper, take the gloves back. I think that mentally he's still in that, probably in that field of batting and keeping. What I mean is that a batsman who's a batsman only, that's very much their role in the team. In their mind, that is their role. And therefore they can apply themselves purely to batting. I think Bairstow is still compromised, and certainly the, the likes of Stokes, the likes of uh, uh, Folks, obviously, as a keeper as well, uh, Moen Alley, you know, they're all-rounders, so they have to sort of spread the load a bit when they're preparing for a game. Batsmen know what their role is, and that's specifically what they practice. That's what they focus on, and that's their job. And I think England need... More specialists at the top of the order. Yeah, yeah. Well, good good luck with finding. Where do they find them? <laughs> so good Where luck they find them? them. Well, I mean, they've got Denley there, haven't they? Yeah. I, yeah. I know it's it's. You'd say, well, what you bring in another debutant. Mm. <sighs> it's it's it, it, they've kind of made a bit of a rob for their own back with yeah. all these all rounders and with three wicket keepers sort of occupying yeah. batting spaces. Yeah, absolutely. Which is where which is where sort of folks 
comes into it or doesn't, if you sort of mean, uh, you know, you might say, actually, do we do England really want that? Um, England need more batsmen who are going to sell their wickets mm. dearly, like Pajara did for India. Mm. Jennings tried it. He can't do it without having a little swish of a drive after every 20 minutes or so. If he can possibly put that drive away, lock it away and never get it out again until he's on 70 or 80, then he, he might have a chance. But for me, he is too vulnerable outside off stump. Burns, I thought, did pretty well. Uh, they've obviously got Root, who, who hasn't yet really shown his, his colours in the Test Series. I think they need another batsman who is going to sell their wicket really dearly. Mm. So, I mean, Stokes tries to sell his wicket dearly, doesn't he? Yeah. But is it ideal? Well, he got, he's got from one, he's sort of almost gone from one extreme yeah. to the other. He's become almost a bit strokeless, yeah. hasn't he? Or stokeless. Yeah, well, that, that's why I think he was really suited to bat at six rather than five, especially if he's going to bowl 50 overs. Mm. I mean, do you really want your number five to bowl 50 overs in the match? Not, not really, do you? Well, if he's a spinner, possibly, but not if he's a fast bowler. I know he's got himself super fit and he's really worked on his fitness enormously uh, this winter. There's sort of like a sort of manic quality you know to his what? fitness this, training. This, this whole discussion <laughs> is going to be completely redundant <laughs> when England win the toss and rack up about 500 and everyone's going to go, what the hell were you talking about? So I think we're going to take a break now because well, I think we want to hear from Clive Lloyd because he's got some strong views. OK, welcome back. We've done a good sort of demolition job on England and they'll probably perform incredibly well. Well, as, a, as I made the point that, you know, they, they have very bad performances and often they play... Bounce back. Bounce back and do very well. It didn't yeah. happen in Australia last year, but there, there has been a, a record of it happening of late. But anyway, the former West Indies captain Clive Lloyd, a, a very strong character who's done a lot in the game, never mind bludgeoning the ball all over the place with the bat, and he used to have six grips on his bat, so nobody else could actually get hold of his bat at all. It was a railway sleeper, but with who no one else could get their hands around the, 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 the bat handle. But, of course, he was captain of the West Indies, very much unified, uh, a disparate nation, brought all those players together, very calming influence, and after that became the team manager for a while. So he's seen both ends of West Indies, from their great success to their but horrible decline. And he's also been an ICC match referee, referee as well. He, he he was actually at the semi-final in 1996 of the World Cup that, that he effectively sort of called off, you know, when there was a there was a riot in the stands and things were being thrown on and, and Sri Lanka were awarded the match. He's been a match referee. So he's seen the game from all sorts of angles. So he's seen it from an ICC angle and he's seen it from a player angle and a management angle. And he's got strong views about the importance of preparation or lack of it before test series, I think it's terrible because, as a, if you, you know, you obviously well, we take this guy or these two guys on tour to groom them for the future. You can't do that anymore. You don't have enough games for them to get a chance to get acclimatized to conditions. So I'm saying to the ICC, it's, if we want to improve test cricket, we have to play more of these games because. And because everything now is finishing in three days and four days, and that is because of some of the players ill-prepared. You're picking a team from the guys you see in the in the nets. Well, I never, I never thought that was the best way of choosing or selecting a player. The youngster now cannot have, doesn't have a chance of playing a game to prove himself. Or if you have somebody's out of form, they will not get a chance to play in a four-day game to improve their form. So whose responsibility is this, do you think? Is it the 
individual boards or is it the ICC to make sure that test well, match teams are properly prepared? I think it's the ICC because you want to promote cricket. You're promoting cricket and you want to promote test cricket. This is not the best way of promoting test cricket. Every game now is finishing in the third and fourth day. And you know why that is so? That is because of the DRS system. Now people can analyze the situation uh, much more. Where you have gotten away with six decisions. Now you, you, you can because you have this system. So the point is people must be well prepared for these eventualities. So the point that Clive Lloyd has made, or well, several points he's made, one of them, I think, is very important in that, in a way, it's selling the public short by these teams not preparing properly for test series because often the first test of a series is a one-sided affair. It's happened quite regularly in the last three or four years because teams, visiting teams, are just not ready mm. for the test match and they lose and then they have to fight back. So that first test match is often very one-sided in favour of the home team. And that that's just not right, is it? I mean, you know, the, as I said earlier, that England's best performance in an overseas series, that 2010-11 when they won in Australia, they had three proper warm-up games. And something needs to be done about that because there are too many one-sided starts to a series. Yeah, Pakistan prepared really well for the... Test series in England at the start of last they summer. Did. They did, yeah. yeah, they had, and they won it. They won the first. Well, they test. won the first test. I mean, well, you, you could argue they already they did already have a test match in, in Ireland, Ireland, but they prepared for that game as well by having yeah. county fixtures, yeah. which they played properly as well. They were proper four day matches, you know, eleven aside, both teams going at it. So you know, th- th- there is some benefit in it, and with the Test Championship coming up, yeah, I think the West Indies are they offered England a full. First class match. I mean, you, they could put in law, inverted commas, or you know, in the playing regulations that every team has to play a proper four day warm up match before a test championship match. I mean, there might be some kicking and screaming and saying, well, we haven't got time, we've got to play T20 leagues, we've got to play one day yeah. internationals or T20s, whatever. But if you, as Clive Lloyd saying, if you're going to promote test match cricket, Make it work, and the Test Championship was a way of doing that. I think it was like a starting point. It's all line in the sand. Then, then why not put that in? So you've, you've got to play that, that guaranteed one, at least one first class match. I mean, you, you might want to play more than that, but you know that actually guaranteed proper game. And, and actually, he makes a point about young players. There's an opportunity for young players from the home side to show their uh, ability by... So a, a warm-up game should be against the A-team of the home country. Mm. So when England tour Australia, they'd play Australia A yeah. before they play Australia. And that way, the Australia A players can get in a bit of form and uh, notoriety, awareness from the selectors playing at a higher level than their state games as well because there's le- there isn't enough of a, a bridge between domestic sport and international sport, generally in the test format. There is in the, uh, the one-day format, because, of course, there's all these T20 leagues, which are a kind of bridge between domestic and international, and the intensity of those leagues does get players better ready for international one-day cricket. But for test cricket, there aren't. there's a few Lions tools, but they're played in front of nobody, uh, often with you know injured players... Sort of being come trying to come back from injury or players on trial or whatever, so th- that's not really a, a proper gauge of their ability at international level. Whereas I think playing in a, an A team against the tourists before a test series would be a, 
a very good challenge. And it's obvious as well, by implication, I mean, England do not take a tour of the Caribbean as seriously as they take a tour of Australia. Because when they go to Australia, they play three. They do play three warm-up matches. They go to West Indies, they play two two-dayers. So there you are, you know, QED. I mean, it's, it's clear, isn't it, that that's the case. I thought the other interesting thing that Clive Lloyd said as well, I hadn't thought about this, is that DRS means you have to prepare better as well because your your technique has to be tighter because you get found out by DRS in a way that in the past you didn't because umpires if you hit on the front pad or whatever they're not out but now because DRS more I think umpires are more willing to give batsmen out and of course poor decisions can be overturned both ways um it's an interesting idea I mean I don't I don't don't know whether it's absolutely I don't know it's necessarily true but it's, it's it's worth I hadn't thought of that as, a, as a, an angle on, on DRS and preparation. It's not easy to prepare for DRS in a way. You're right. Get your technique absolutely watertight, and that way LBWs are less likely to happen. But actually simulating DRS in a practice game yeah. isn't easy because you obviously haven't got the technology, yeah. you haven't got the cameras and Hawkeye and everything there. And the other point in the, at the end, the, the point about you know, what does this mean for West Indies Test match cricket? Well, coming into this series, they'd, they'd lost four matches in a row away from home and actually beaten really heavily in the subcontinent by India and Bangladesh. Uh, and most teams, though, of course, are stronger at home. But, I mean, their home record is not, I mean, it's not sensational um, of late, but they, they do seem to be a thorn in England's side, certainly at home. And, of course, you know, we all, all think back to that Headingley Test match where... England fought back well, but they declared and lost the game. I mean, you could argue if England didn't declare, they, they probably wouldn't have lost. You know, they, you know, they had more petrol in the tank. They could have got a huge lead and made it impossible for the West Indies to, to win the match, but they didn't. They thought they had enough in the enough runs on the board to declare. But that was a brilliant effort from the West Indies. England do, I mean, West Indies do seem to provide England with a problem. And I, th- I think their bowling attack in these conditions is potentially better than England's as well. I really like Gabriel. I think he's got. This, this power and this extra sort of speed, he's a little bit fitter than he was, and clearly they've all got fitter in the last six or seven months through Jimmy Andams, the director of cricket's insistence, of realising that they were, were bad. And we, when we were out in the Caribbean a year and a half ago, two years ago, for the one-day series, I think that was a genuine observation that they just weren't yeah, fit enough. Yeah. And now they've, they've, they've addressed that. And, and Kingamar Roach has, has really started to find his game as a, a test bowler. Both he and Holder uh, have taken their wickets at under 20, I think, in 2018. Certainly Holder took his wickets at 12 in 2018. And everyone's saying, well, why, why is a guy of six foot six and huge physique, why can't he bowl quicker? He doesn't need to bowl in quicker. If he can bowl that consistent line and length, he's hard to drive. He's, he's managed to add a simple, quite subtle ingredient to his game, which is the outswing followed by the wobble seam delivery, which looks like an outswing and goes straight. And he got two wickets with that, sort of borrowing from Anderson's sophistication as a seam bowler. So he's got one or two little tricks. I haven't seen enough of the spinner to be sure you know, how good he is, but those three seamers, plus Alzari Joseph as well, that's, that's a better attack than England have got in these mm. conditions. Yeah, Holder's not a bad all-rounder either, I, I noticed during that test match. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> Double hundred at number eight. That's not bad at all. Now, last week on the podcast, we gave our predictions for mm. the series. Yeah. And I suppose in the West Indies column, we're right. Um, 
it's one already because we, we thought England would win the series 2-1. Two one. One. I was working with Graham Munnings on the Cricket Social on BBC actually and he said yeah, there was a sort of suggestion that West Indies would win a test match or it might be one all or 2-1 or whatever. He said, well, where are West Indies going to win a test match? It was on the first day. How are they going to win a test match? Well, I think, well, we all know now how they're going to win a test match. So perhaps a toss is going to be important in Antigua. Do you, do you see England coming back, winning 2-1? Do you stand by your prediction um, or not? I, I, no, I don't. No. I, I think it's either going to be 2-1 to the West Indies or one all. I can mm. see England winning a game, yeah. but I can't see them winning two games. Wow, OK, there we go. What do you think? Uh, I, well, I, I don't know. It, it, each game is so different, isn't it? You can you can be thrashed one week and come back and win heavily the next. And that has been the pattern from England. I suppose the pitch has been crucial in Antigua. If it's slow and low, really flat, then I could see this game being a draw. I could definitely see the game being a draw, and then England would have to try to turn it round in, in St Lucia. So I think, yeah, big question marks over 2-1 now, obviously, even though the West Indies have got the one. Well, talking of adversity and, and the difficulties of coming back from a, a problem, uh, we've got an interesting interview next week with a guy who was in the Royal Navy and he was in Iraq and he got very badly injured and had to be discharged from the Navy and he's created a very interesting cricket-related second career. So we'll talk to you about that next week. When I think we'll probably also talk about the second test match as well. Who knows what's in store for us in Antigua in the next five days or so. Don't forget, by the way, please send us reviews on iTunes. And uh, any questions you've got or observations that you have from uh, this podcast, you can post them either on Twitter or at theanalystpodcast at gmail.com, the email address. We want to hear from you. We want to talk about any ideas that you have, any thoughts that you have on the game. Yeah, I'm sure there's quite strong opinions on uh, England's performance in, in the West Indies. So do get in touch, please do, and we'll consider some of them, read some of them out next week. Goodbye for now. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.